Hello from ABA Mid-Year Meeting 2017 in Miami, Florida. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Russell Wheeler. And Karen Pop. And we're on the road with Legal Talk Network. back. I'm with my panel discussion of folks that came from the session titled The Presidential Nomination Process and the Steps to Confirmation, a view from different perspectives. So I guess my first question, how'd it go? I thought it went great. We had a lot of very robust conversation on the panel and uh, we had a lot of good questions from the audience. And it was a big panel. Almost, I bet there were at least 100 people there. Yep, yep. At least 100 in the audience. Well, given our uh, current political climate today, did it ever get fiery at some point? Uh, was everybody respectful, behave themselves, or how'd it go? You know, certainly amongst the panelists, it was uh, very, very respectful because we had a, a good mix of, we had the, the Bush White House represented on the panel, the Clinton White House. Uh, we had the media, we had two judges, and then we had our academic, Mr. Wheeler. Excellent. Um, and uh, we covered a lot of different topics from those various perspectives. That's right. You, uh, you had Harriet Myers on with you. Right. The panelists that we had included Harriet Myers, former White House counsel to President Bush, two judges, Chief Judge Beryl Howell of the District Court in Washington, D.C., and then Judge Davis of the Fourth Circuit. And both of those uh, folks have been nominees and gone through a confirmation process more than once. And then Judge Howe actually worked on the U.S. Uh, Senate Judiciary Committee, so she provided a lot of insight from that perspective. And then we also had, unfortunately, Nina Totenberg was not able to join us as advertised. She had to cancel at the last minute, but we had we were able to get Spencer Shu, who is uh, an investigative legal reporter from the Washington Post. And of course, we had Mr. Wheeler, who uh, Russell Wheeler, who is a visiting fellow at the Brookings Institute who provided uh, a lot of the academic perspective on things and a lot of historic. So it was a extremely informative panel. And then I'm actually former Associate White House Counsel to President Clinton. Excellent, so. excellent. Sounds like a lot of intellectual firepower here. <laughs> so the magic words in the media today are filibuster, cloture, and nuclear options. So as we uh, watch the news cycle spin on and on. And uh, so was your discussion primarily about the, uh, the nomination process of uh, Neil Gorsuch coming up, the Supreme Court nominee? No, really our, our discussion was, um, he obviously came up in the discussion, but our focus was all the steps, everything that takes place leading up to getting a nomination, whether it's a judicial nomination or an executive branch nomination, and then uh, the steps from there to confirmation. For district and circuit judges. Okay. Yep. Yeah, so it wasn't just Supreme Court. So it's judges and other executive branch appointees. And the interesting thing about the, um, the panel is that um, all of the folks on the panel brought a different perspective. Okay, fantastic. So anything stick out as far as the different perspectives? Uh, obviously, you know, people have different motivations, their positions, and their work, their work background is going to be different. What were some of the, uh, I guess, some of the outliers in the group? Russell, I think one of the biggest sort of sound bites on that is that it really varies by administration as to how the process can work. But then there's also some continuity in other aspects. There's a basic process that, that operates. Uh, very little of it's constrained by statute. It's almost all fairly rigid informal norms. Uh, but as Karen said, one person talked about how one of the presidents liked to meet every one of the persons that, that he's going to nominate. Uh, Judge Davis said that, uh, he said, he said, I'm from Baltimore. I never got down to the White House to meet the president. So there's those sort of variations. 
I think also uh, you recognize that we had from the Bush to the Obama administration represented, it is a process that is deteriorating to a degree. It's taking a lot longer than it used to. It's more contentious. It's having an effect on the ability to recruit people to be judges. So it's, it's uh, the, what we, we see a lot about the Supreme Court and how much of a battlefield that is going to be. But this is creeping down to the other courts and it's having an effect. I'd like to hit that one point you made about it's beginning to decrease the amount of judges that you can select from. What's going on there? Are judges just not interested in doing it or is it becoming that much more difficult to select someone that'll get through the process? There's always going to be people who want to be judges, but you, you do read sort of interesting stories about uh, senators who put out a call for nominees and they get two or three people who express an interest. That's not going to be true everywhere, obviously. Uh, and I think it's, it, to the degree it is happening, though I think it's due to the fact in part of the process just takes very long. That makes it especially hard for lawyers in private practice who have to pretty much give up their practice while they're going through this process. And that's easy to do for a month. It's not easy to do for a year or more. The process has gotten more contentious. Harriet Myers pointed that out, that it's just sort of nastier in a way. She pointed to someone who said, I'm not going to be nominated because I don't want my teenage daughters to go through, see what I'd have to go through. And I've heard people on the Senate staff say, I don't know why anybody goes through that. On the other hand, uh, it's a highly important job and, and we need good people to do it. Yeah, this is one of the topics that we really covered a lot on the panel from the different perspectives, um, including the media. I mean, the media... Spencer, too, pointed out that, you know, it's the media's job. Uh, basically, people have the right to know, and there is uh, certainly a lot of vetting that goes into the process, both to select, you know, to make the decision to nominate and then the confirmation. And as Russell just said, it can be extremely lengthy. It can be extremely invasive. And then you run the risk that, you know, you're going to be in the newspapers and not a favorable way or before you know, in a hearing in not a favorable way, and it discourages people. Yeah, that's a common reporting we're hearing that this like might be the most contentious times the country has faced uh, in a nomination process. Do you agree with that, or can you think of a time in history where it, it may have been more heavily battled? Well, I don't know. I, I'd answer that a somewhat different way, and that is the contentiousness we see is not peculiar to the judiciary at all. It's not as if there's this flawed judicial confirmation process and the rest of the government's ticking along like a Swiss watch. Instead, the polarization makes it difficult for government to do almost anything. Appropriations bills don't get passed on time. Executive appointments uh, are a mess. Things that used to go through Congress easily, like infrastructure bills, are now major topics. And that same polarization has crept over into the, ju the judicial process, I think. And what worries me is I don't see how it gets ratcheted down. It's easy to see how it gets ratcheted up. I don't see how it gets ratcheted down because Neither side is going to say at some point, well, let's let bygones be bygones and we'll just forget the way you treated our folks. Instead, you're going to see just the opposite. You see it playing out right now with the, uh, with the Gorsuch nomination. So, and about that, you know, obviously we're hearing nuclear option in the news like every other word. And so I admit it, I didn't totally understand what that meant. And I went through and I read a couple, of, and I'm not sure I'm getting the 100% accurate information from the media all the time on that. But can you guys explain what the nuclear option is? I know it has an origin, I know it has an origin with uh, uh, nominations for the federal courts, but uh, now it's beginning to, well, there's talk about applying it to the Supreme Court nominations. Well, it's a parliamentary move by which the majority party can change the rules in the Senate by majority vote 
rather than by what's typically required, 60 so votes. Can I jump on right there? Yeah. So let's explain that. So these are the rules by which uh, the Senate votes. Does its work, yeah. Okay, does its work. So explain that. Like, how, where do they get their, I mean, and this is, you know, I took constitutional law at law school, but I, I don't really understand the origin of their authority to do that when people elect them. So they get to decide how and when they vote and the percentages. That they well, can... anybody creates rules for it to operate. It'd be chaos if it didn't. So the Senate has its rules. Okay. I think the filibuster used to take three quarters. I, I don't know, but right now it's it's uh, the, the rule basically requires 60 votes to get to a vote. For 60 votes court. to get to a vote for the Supreme Court. But in November, the uh, the Democrats took this step, so-called nuclear option, to reduce the requirement to invoke cloture down to a majority. Did that in November of, of 2013. So that drops it from 60 to 51, right? Yeah, to enable you to go to a vote. Okay. And so that's the deal. Now the talk is, uh, will they do it for the Supreme Court level? And there you get into a lot of debate about whether or not, whether Senator McConnell is such an institutionalist that although he wants to get Gorsuch confirmed, will he be willing to take what I think all people who've been in the Senate for a while regard as a bad move, and that is turning the Senate into a, in a version of the House where majority rule is dominant. The Senate basically does its business by unanimous consent. And this was something that the, uh, that the panel covered and just to echo what Russell said, I think the panelists were in agreement that this is something that the Senate has not done and that you've got a lot of the old guard, at least in modern history, and you've got a lot of the old, older members of the Senate that would look unfavorably on that. That doesn't mean it's not going to happen, but it is something that uh, a number of members of the Senate would not want to do. And it's the sort of thing, play this out, uh, it surely wouldn't happen if the parties were to come to an agreement like this. Okay, we're going we're gonna to confirm Gorsuch because we're basically restoring the status quo ante when Scalia was on the court. But the next time there's a vacancy, it's likely to be either, either Ginsburg, Breyer, or Kennedy, if you look at the actuarial charts. We need some commitment from you that you're not going to nominate a hard-right conservative to replace them. That's a logical conversation to have, but I can't imagine it's being had. Can you? It is hard to say. So what do you think the long-term, you know, implications of this? I mean, obviously that threshold has been met for, you know, the, the federal courts. And so that's new. And so that's going to stay in play, I guess, until they decide to vote it back the other way or change the procedural rules to a different setting. But uh, this going forward, I mean, the Supreme Court, I mean, obviously, you know, we're seeing these, these decisions come down 5-4. You know, it seems uh, a lot of very gigantic, wide-sweeping uh, implications for our society coming down 5-4. And so... What do you think the long-term implications of raising this to the Supreme Court, this, uh, you know, this 51% simple majority? Who knows? Uh, you know, some people are saying that the way Trump is going, he's going to lose the House in, in 2018. It'll be a hard time to win the presidency. And then you have President Cory Booker, or who knows, with a Senate majority. And by then, the relatively younger Supreme Court justices who are in their 60s will be closer to when they're leaving the court and all of a sudden you start ramming a bunch of liberal. Who knows what's going to happen? That's just, it's not even speculation on my part. It's just rambling. But I don't see it getting ratcheted down. That's the problem. I don't see any, anybody's going to come in and say, we got to put a stop to this. It's ruining the Senate. It's, it's, it's destroying our ability to govern. I think a lot of them are wishing that could happen, but I just don't see it. I just don't see it happening. Maybe you're more optimistic than I am. You know, I don't know either. I can't predict the future. But I think Harriet Myers made a really good point on the panel that the process of selecting a nominee and confirming a nominee, you know, it is in the interest of our country for it to be a process that we can all be proud of. 
because of the major impact that those decisions have on our country. And I agree with that. Okay, so let me ask it a different way. And I, this is, I always try to, I always try to reverse things and, and uh, you know, look at them kind of, you know, full context. And so what's the harm? So we've, we've seen it happen with the federal courts. And now if it happened to the Supreme Court, what's the downside? I mean, simple majority, 51%, is that protecting the people? The people, uh, the safeguards that we've built in historically to protect the people's decisions and uh, past decisions, and with decisions that require more than a slim majority, uh, presumably those are decisions that require more consensus, more buy-in from a wider group of people. So when you're when you're governing on 50% plus one, it's not a consultative kind of government. It's just we've got the majority. We're going to ram through anything we want to, as opposed to we got to listen to the other side and make some compromises because this is a pluralistic nation. That makes sense. I mean, you obviously have different uh, voting thresholds for a lot of reasons and uh, not to the same degree of importance, but uh, you know, recently the San Diego Chargers, you know, they, they had a uh, more than a regular majority to pass something that would allow them to build a new stadium in a new location. And they, didn't, they didn't have enough votes. And so it required, like you were talking about, more people to collaborate, compromise, talk more discussion. And so in that way, you know, that the safeguard is further discussion. It's to change more minds to make sure that we're all walking in unison. It's this long-standing analogy that, you know, we heard from George Washington. The house, you know, why asked Thomas Jefferson why he poured his coffee into the saucer and he had to cool it. The house is the majority rule body. It passes stuff. And then the Senate is a more reflective body where a simple majority is not going to do it. And you have to compromise with the minority with other views in order to get legislation passed. That's the oversimplified view of it, but that's what the basic theory is. Well, I just have one last question for you. Uh, you've been more than generous with your time and uh, educating me, at least, uh, and our listeners, I'm sure, too. We have listeners and, and they're, they're attorneys, and we're, we're putting these podcasts out with the American Bar Association, and we're doing it through our network. And so chances are attorneys are listening, and if they want to get involved or they want to learn more, is there a way for them to contact you online? Sure. I'm at Karen Pop. I'm a partner at Sidley Austin in Washington, D.C., um, head of the firm's white-collar government investigations practice. And I can be contacted at kpop at sidley.com. So, too, you can just go to the Brookings Institution website and you can find all my contact information. The email is rwheeler at brookings.edu. Well, it looks like we've reached the end of the road for this episode. I want to thank our guests, Karen Pop and Russell Wheeler, for joining us today. And also thank our listeners for tuning in. And if you like what you've heard today, please rate us in iTunes. And we'll see you next time for another episode of On the Road, Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. Or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Bye.